0: So here we are, Easter Sunday, and what an incredible grace story, Bob. So amazing to hear what God's doing in the life of our church, in the lives of people. And and really, if we were to consider the evidence of the resurrection, it's it's right around you right now, sitting in this room, amen? What God has done in the lives of people. But we're going to consider that this morning as we get into the Word, and I recognize here this morning there's different groups of people here this morning. We're dealing with you know folks that are committed believers here this morning whose lives are 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 committed to Christ and they're here and and we're maybe some folks that are you know Christian in the sense that I'm a, I'm a Christian because I you know I'm in America, right? And and I grew up Christian and I'm going to hit this thing like on Easter and then on Christmas and I seem to be doing better than my knucklehead friends, so I must be all right, right? Um that might be That maybe some folks here, some folks here may be skeptical about Christianity or the resurrection completely. Like, I I don't know. Maybe it's kind of some figurative thing. Like God got up, Jesus raised, and so now we can rise up and, you know, there's some cool little truths and clever tricks for how to have a better life. Maybe that's what some folks have have reduced the resurrection or Christianity to. Maybe someone here uh, this morning because, you, you know, a co-worker brought you or a neighbor brought you, or you've finally given this gift to your spouse, right? I'm here, leave me alone, I'll see you at Christmas, right? That could be, that could be part of the deal too, and that's okay. What I want to do in recognizing that there's, there's a whole uh, uh, different, different, different groups of folks here this morning, is I want to look at the resurrection and consider it um, as we see it in Scripture, but I want to talk about it, um in terms of intellectually does this thing even make sense because it seems to defy human intellect does it not that Jesus is risen that he was dead actually physically dead and now he's alive Come with me to Luke 24 and let's read this together Luke 24 verses 1 through 12 But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. God, I just pray that you would this morning help us to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. This is Luke's Luke's narrative of the resurrection, and what we see is the women had gone to the tomb and we see that in the other narratives and they got there and Jesus was no longer there. And the angels stood before them and said, why are you searching for the living among the dead? He did exactly what he said he was going to do as he taught you on his way to the cross. And they ran back they told the other 11, and the other 11 were like, ah, it's kind of like idle chatter. I don't know if we believe this. And then Peter got up and he ran to the tomb to see it for himself. You know, when I consider the resurrection, I kind of think like a prosecutor. Vocationally, um, I'm a prosecutor at the DA's office, and I've been prosecuting child abuse cases for the last 10 years. And as a prosecutor, as that type of lawyer, you, you bear, um, in every case, you bear the burden of proof. So as a prosecutor... Every day, I look at evidence. I look at evidence, I talk to cops, I speak to witnesses, I read reports, I read eyewitness testimony, and I begin, I begin in my job every day to gather evidence, to put that evidence together to see what happened, right? The goal is to get to the truth. The goal is, in my vocation, ethically, my job is to do justice. So if the truth is that the guy didn't do it, the guy didn't do it. If the truth is that the guy or woman did it, then, then, then that person did it. And so I have to look at the evidence and I have to then um, present that evidence in such a way and to tell the story, to make it clear to a jury, usually the 12 people left who were too stupid to get out of jury duty, right? Um, and so this is the group I'm talking to and, and I have to convince them beyond a reasonable doubt that the version of facts... Is, is absolutely true based on the evidence that we've presented to them so they can compare it to the law and make a decision. So that's what I do for work every day. And as I approach the resurrection and thinking about this, i got to tell you, as a lawyer, as a prosecutor, I would love to do these closing arguments. You see, everybody has to do something with the resurrection. Historically, Scholars have been writing on this. Secular scholars have been debating this. People have been, intellectuals have been seeking after this, looking at this, because historically something happened that changed a group of people that has transformed the world. Historically something happened at this moment. And in Jesus, the most famous person on the face of the planet, whether Continent, culture, socioeconomic status, Jesus is without a doubt the most famous human, human being that has ever lived. Everybody has to do something with it. Either ignore it, set it aside, think it's just some tall tale, or believe it. But somebody, in, in looking at this with intellectual honesty, has to do something with it, right? And so what, what do we see here in terms of proof? What do we see here in terms of evidence? It's compelling. It's incredibly compelling. And I want to read a passage for you in a moment that talks about and explains to us why it's absolutely essential. Jesus risen for the dead. Most of the objections to the resurrection of Christ, the historic resurrection of Christ now we're talking about a physical death we're talking about being killed being murdered by the Roman Empire on a cross put in a grave and dead and then physically rising again this historic event that that I as a Christian submit to you absolutely occurred intellectually looking at this at the evidence and at the proof of it what are the implications of it and how do we know that this happened well, I submit to you, there's tons of evidence. You know, m- much of the objections, m- many of the, the stories of of how to explain this historic event, you know, the top kind of four or five of them have been articulated over the years. And, and you know, I submit to you, they're ridiculous. One of the, one of the top objections or, or ways of dealing with the resurrection of Christ is that, um, they went to the wrong tomb that's one of the explanations i read they were so distraught they were so upset the women just went to the wrong tomb seriously so they went to the wrong to- I- i've been lost before how many of you guys have been lost before and i've been distraught before i've, I've experienced loss I've been around people that have experienced incredible loss and i can understand being distraught but in the midst of this first century historic event as, as disciples are growing and the faith is growing and, and the Roman Empire and the Jews are, are trying to squash this incredible um, historic thing that's happening in, in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people, the idea that they just simply went to the wrong tomb could have been quickly solved by going to the right tomb and producing the body, right? That would have been easy, but they couldn't do that because his body wasn't there. One of the second objections that I heard about was that uh, the swoon theories. Has anybody ever heard of this? The swoon theory is a very big historic one that, that Jesus swooned. He, he died, uh, but he didn't die. He just, he just uh, was buried and was actually still alive, wasn't quite dead yet. And then he woke up and, and actually hadn't died and then appeared to all of these eyewitnesses, all these hundreds of eyewitnesses, and convinced them that he had overcome death as, this, as the Messiah. Um... There was a great scholar that wrote on this about how ridiculous this particular theory and an objection to, to the resurrection is because he was clearly nailed to a cross through his hands, through his feet. His flesh was ripped off his back through scourging. He was beaten. He had a spear jammed up through underneath his ribs into his heart. And even if he had swooned, the ability to have rolled the stone away and walked around and convinced his followers that he had defeated death is impossible. The, necess- the necessity of incredible medical care would have been there. He would have needed to be bandaged, cared for, and, and he would have never convinced these followers that he had overcome death as he then eventually succumbed to his injuries. Some folks, um, in trying to deal with this incredible historic event that has changed the face of the planet in the first century, have said, okay, well, they were hallucinating these, these, uh, these eyewitness accounts of Jesus, it was just hallucinations. You know, they got into some wine, maybe found some peyote, right? I don't know. And they, they, they were hanging out, and, and they just wanted to see it so bad that they saw uh, these hallucinations of Jesus. Come on. Hundreds of witnesses in the first century hallucinated this. Group hallucination must have happened. I've never heard of that before. the last popular one is that the body was stolen and the disciples made it all up. That somehow these disciples who, as you see depicted in Scripture, were not the brightest bunch of dudes, right? Like, these guys didn't get half the parables when he articulated them to them. They were like, yeah, okay. You know, the Jesus, Jesus in his teaching, we see one of the greatest evidence evidences of the, of the inerrancy of scripture and the fact that the Bible wasn't messed with is that the way the disciples are depicted, had they made this thing up to pitch this false narrative and create a false religion, they'd have changed it, right? They would have made themselves look a little better. All of a sudden, these guys are SEAL Team 6, and they... They overcome the the guards, roll the stone away, steal the body, hide the body, and then spend the rest of their days, the next 30 years, preaching about the resurrection of Christ to start a false religion to get what? Wealth? To get famous? No. To get martyred, fed to lions, boiled in oil, hung upside down on a cross, and, and martyred hundreds of them throughout the next 30 years. How many of you guys think that was their plan? Look at these disciples. I love Peter. Peter just makes me feel better about myself sometimes. And at the same time, and at the same time as I look at Peter, I think, what an amazing, powerful man. Jesus looks at him, right? And at one point, Jesus called him the devil, right? How do you get over that one? Peter declares, You are the Son of God. And he says, Yes, God has revealed this to you. And he says, and now I must go and suffer and die. And Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? He looks at Peter and he says, you're going to deny me three times. By the time the cock crows, by the time the alarm clock goes off, you will have denied me three times. And after the crucifixion, Jesus is so scared. He's so afraid for his life that they are going to do the same thing to him that they just did to his Savior and his Lord. As he walks through the crowd, someone comes up to him and says, hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? A second person. I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. Third person. Don't you know this Jesus? Weren't you? One of his disciples, beep, beep, blank, blank. I mean, he loses it and starts screaming at him. I don't know him. 60 days later, he stands up at Pentecost and preaches about the crucified Christ who is risen from the dead. The, the Jesus that you killed, as he says to those authorities and those leaders, is now risen. He preaches the gospel and, and thousands are saved. As Peter stands up, Peter now is walking around and and God is using him to heal somebody and he's preaching the gospel to the point that these same rulers, these same authority figures drag him in and they say to him, how could you stop preaching this? We're gonna do the same thing to you that we did to him. And Peter says, do whatever is right in your own eyes. I don't care. If you take my life, go ahead. And he's gonna keep preaching the gospel. What did he see? How did he get so tough? How did all of a sudden he get so bold? What happened in his life that now he stands up in the face of certain death and continues to preach the gospel? Jesus, that's who he saw. He saw his Lord that was killed, that was crucified, that was buried. He saw him risen. He ate with him. He spoke with him. He wasn't floating around like a ghost. He saw the physical Jesus risen from the dead and it transformed his life to the point that he preached the gospel the rest of his days until he was crucified and hung upside down on a cross because he wouldn't be killed like his Lord. He said, put me upside down. And they killed him and he did not recant. Because it happened. Jesus' family believed he was the Messiah. Pull that one off. Anybody got brothers, sisters? His half-brother James lived for him, loved him, and died for him. Preaching the gospel, he was thrown off the temple mount to the point that he fell down and shattered his legs. Someone came up to him and smashed him with a stone and killed him because of his proclamation. His brother was the Messiah. They weren't preaching. They weren't offended at their preaching that Jesus has died. They were offended at the preaching of the disciples that he has risen from the dead. and He was alive. They lost their lives. These disciples scattered around the world mark went to north africa they preached the gospel of jesus christ and the entire face of the planet has been transformed not because his body was stolen not because he swooned not because he's just some historic dude that was kind of nice and that everybody really liked and then his disciples you know changed the planet because he really was dead but he wasn't no they changed the face of the planet because jesus is alive because he had died and he rose from the dead. It historically happened. Amen? Isaiah 53, prophesy. I don't have time today, but look at the biblical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. Isaiah 53, throughout the Psalms, Zechariah, Job, prophesy the resurrection of the risen Christ. And Jesus did it just how they said thousands of years before. Amen? Jesus taught on this. Look at Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. He told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again on the third day. I will be raised again on the third day. And his disciples, they didn't want to hear about it. As he was teaching on this, on his way to the cross, the disciples, they didn't want to talk about this because it wasn't their version of God. It wasn't their version of who they wanted him to be. They were anticipating this overflow, overthrow of the Roman government. They were anticipating him sitting on an earthly throne and just defeating their oppressors. They were anticipating themselves in power, sitting at his right hand, even as he taught that greatness is in servanthood and greatness is in, in, in lowliness and in serving. They were still arguing and debating about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to sit at his right hand. And Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise again on the third day. Jesus described exactly what he was going to do before he did it, and he doesn't sit on an earthly throne that would just save the Jewish people of that day from Rome, but today he sits at the right hand of the Father, according to Hebrews, because he, in his resurrection, in his death, and in his resurrection, has saved all of us who are in him, so much bigger than they had ever imagined. So much more amazing is this resurrection than they could have anticipated or understood. And they get it, and you see it in Acts as they preach the resurrection over and over and over again. In Acts 3, they talk about God defeating death for us. In Acts 10, you see the disciples preaching that God has purchased all the promises that they knew about through the Old Testament as they looked at Moses and the law and Abraham. Jesus, in his resurrection, has secured for us all of those promises. In Acts 17, they, they, they preach about God judging sin in Christ on our behalf as our substitute. Acts 4, the resurrection, because of the resurrection, God can set you free. Acts 3, because of the resurrection, God will restore everything. Acts 26, God rescues Jews and Gentiles, not just the Jewish people, but everybody, because of the resurrection of Christ, amen? This is what the disciples are preaching throughout their region as they spread out across the world, and because of the resurrection of Christ, we see the world transformed. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me approach this in two different ways. First, take a minute in your life and intellectually consider this. Intellectually, do something with Jesus in his resurrection. Look at the claims of what could have happened ex- instead of the resurrection and watch them crumble under the weight of the evidence. Pursue it intellectually and see what you think of whether or not historically the evidence shows that there was a Christ who died and was physically raised again. And then here's the other thing I want you to see from scripture the implications of what that means for you and for me. If it's true, what does it mean for you? If it's true, what does it mean for me? If it's not true, what does it mean? Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians thirteen. I'm sorry, 15. And I'm going to read, um, I'm actually going to start in verse 1, but I want to key in on verse 12 and following. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the world I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you. As of first importance. What I also received. That Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. And he was raised on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas. Which is Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. When Paul wrote this letter that went to the Corinthians, the eyewitnesses of the resurrection were still alive. I got to tell you, as a prosecutor, if I got one good eyewitness, I'm happy. If I got 500, you're going to prison. 500. He appeared to 500, and Paul says, go find them. You want to talk about circumstantial, historic evidence of the resurrection of Christ? When these letters were written, when people were still reading them, when they were talking about it, they could go see, they could go talk to the people who saw it, which is why it spread so fast, and Christianity transformed the world. The eyewitnesses were still alive. I want you to think about this for a moment. The first eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ is Mary. In the first century, Judaism, Mary couldn't even testify in court and have her testimony be considered because she was a woman. Her testimony was not even worthy of belief in a courtroom because of her gender. And I love the the Richard Dawkins and the other folks that write about how they just made this up to perpetuate some false religion. If you were writing a book to create a false religion that you wanted people in the first century to believe, why would you write the first eyewitness of the resurrection as a woman? Because she was, that's why. Because he was risen. And that's what happened. Women were the first eyewitnesses. And you know from our passage in Luke 24 that when the women ran back and said to the men, hey, he's risen, the dudes were like, eh, it's idle chatter, right? That's, I'm not saying this. That's what they said. You guys are getting mad. I'm looking at... <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting some glares. This is not me. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. <laughs> For I deliver to you what is of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to, to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, Look at the evidence of Paul. If you were creating a false religion about a false resurrection, how would you get on board the persecutor of Christians who killed and stoned them for for his faith? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. When they were stoning Stephen as he preached the gospel, they couldn't throw the rocks hard enough, so they took their coats off and threw them at the feet of who? Saul as he stood and watched and supervised the killing of Stephen. All of a sudden, Paul, his life, Saul turns into Paul, his life is transformed. He's a witness to the Christ who's risen to the point that he spends the rest of his life being thrown in jail, beaten, shipwrecked, and, and, and almost tortured and thrown in prison and killed multiple times. Almost killed multiple times. Why? What did Paul see? What changed Paul's life? What transformed him? For him to say, I, the the guy who wrote 70% of the New Testament, I am the chief of all sinners. Jesus saved me so that all of you could look at me and say God can save anyone. The resurrection deals with our sin because God's a just God and sin needs to be dealt with. If the resurrection is true, it means that our sin needed to be dealt with and that because of the resurrection, it is dealt with, amen? And we've been forgiven. Let me just read this and then I'll close. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? There's no resurrection of the dead that not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain. And our faith's in vain, or your faith's in vain. We have even found, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about, about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your face futile. And if you are still in your, and you are still in your sins. Dead in your sins, eat, drink, be merry because we're all going to die if Christ is not raised from the dead. We are meaninglessly flying around on a piece of dirt in space, and it doesn't matter what you or I do if Christ did not raise from the dead. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. If Christ hasn't risen, we should be pitied. Love this verse. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Paul says, "Listen. If Christ hasn't died from the, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, your face futile. You're still in your sins. All is lost." Love verse twenty. But Christ has been risen from the dead. That means all hope is not lost. That means we are not misrepresenting God. That means your faith is not futile. And most of all, as you sit here this morning, the, the most incredible implication of the resurrection of Jesus is our sins have been dealt with. Amen? Now, some of us are still sitting here maybe feeling like, I'm not that bad. You know, I, I've been there. You look at your buddies and you think, man, I'm better than that knucklehead, right? I'm doing okay. Why does sin really need to be dealt with? I know I've said this before, but in particular, in my vocation, I get to see the darkness in the results of sin. As a child abuse prosecutor, I see the destruction of young children almost daily because of the selfishness and, and disgusting uh, self um, selfishness of people and lack of self-control, homicide, burglary, murder. I mean, we, we, we can think of the worst, but I can't help on moments like this but get introspective and think of my own selfishness, my own falling short of the glory of God. The Bible says, because of sin, all of our will is bent. No one does good. No, not one. We're all prone to be more considerate of ourselves than others. And some of us would like in our own minds to create a God who's like you know, a genie in a bottle or some fairy floating around just putting happy dust on everybody. That would be a cruel God who does not care about justice. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that we have a God who is just, who will in his resurrection, because of his resurrection, make all things right. That means when I sit across my desk from that little girl who's been abused by mom's boyfriend, I can know that even if the criminal justice system doesn't put him away, that God will make all things right. That means that when we hurt somebody and our own selfishness betrays our most loved ones to the point that we hurt them and we grieve over that as Peter wept after denying Christ, we can know that Jesus in his resurrection will make all things right because he's just. And here's the good news, folks. The just wrath of God for all of sin saved up from Adam to the end of the world because he is just and because he loves us was pinpoint directed at Jesus Christ on that cross in his death and he defeated it and rose again so we don't have to, amen? Amen. That is the good news of the resurrection. You can't earn it, you can't be good enough, there's nothing you bring to the table to do it for yourself. The beauty of the resurrection in Christianity that is different from everything else on the face of the planet is that you don't do anything to get it other than rely on him because he did it for you. You just have to live a life of worship that's grateful for what he's done. And I want to tell you, when you come face to face with a God who loves you that much, there's nothing you can do other than respond with your life and begin to change. And you realize this, that life's not about you. It's about him and his glory. Amen? This is the biggest lie we're telling to our kids, that all of human life is about them. It is the Disney Channel catechism. Life is about you, life is about how you feel, life is about what you want, and we are raising a bunch of miserable, dissatisfied, upset kids because the reality is life is about him. We go into our marriages with, honey, life's about me. You show up to work, everybody better get with the program, life's about me. When your kids want to play with you and you get home from work and you're tired, you know what, life's about me. Want to talk about a, a miserable way to live, but the resurrection shows us the life's about him and his glory, and the gifts that he gives you are for his glory. Your work is for his glory. Your marriage and your kids and your family are for his glory, and when you live to serve him in a response of worship because of what he's done in the resurrection, your life will change, amen? The resurrection is good news and the implications should change our life every day just like it did these men who were eyewitnesses to it and women, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for the good news that you are alive And that changes everything. Because you live, everything is changed. Our sin is dealt with. Our futures are secure. Our lives are about your glory and not our own satisfaction. Help us to respond to the reality and the truth of your gospel and your resurrection with a life of worship. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Amen. Amen.